All right, Jordan, what was your financial win of the week? All right, man. Uh, well, it was it was more of a uh, I broke the budget, so not so much a win. Um, <laughs> you went um, all in on Bitcoin. I guarantee. Yeah, that was it. I'm gonna be a millionaire tomorrow, oh. <laughs> and then and then I'm gonna lose it all the next day. End of podcast. <laughs> uh, no, so yeah, we we didn't meet up two weeks ago because I went to Solving uh, with the girlfriend. Uh, it's like wine country and stuff, and and uh, kind of how I was deciding to do things was, you know, be pretty frugal through the week so that when you do things like that, you can just kind of splurge and have fun and budgeted it out a certain amount of money. And and by the end of the trip through YNAB, you know, I kept track. It had a category just for that vacation, and um, definitely went over by like three hundred bucks. And I was like, hmm, all right, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where did you pull the money from? What other category? Oh man! Well, uh, I took it. I, I was saving up for those for like a watch, you know, okay. like a Garmin watch. Nice. So um, I, I took some from that, and I took mm-hmm. some from my from my tattoo fund. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> tattoo fund that's been in the works for a couple of years, two three years. <laughs> still, still, still saving up. Um, but yeah, it was, it, you know what it was? It was like, I, I was, I was there and I was just like, every time that I wanted to eat somewhere, I just went out to eat. We didn't like prepare any meals or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what did it like going out to eat all the time. It's really what pushed us over, which, which was really fun at the time. Cause like, you know, I didn't even care. I didn't think about it. I was like, I'm just going to go have fun. It's my vacation. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think the next vacation, I'll probably be more cognizant of making, making meals, uh, through the day to kind of lower that cost down a little bit <laughs> a little prep work goes a long way that's for sure mm-hmm. they'll sneak up on you uh financial win was switching jobs here another another uh job hunt for me so out yeah. of blessed off to this other clinic uh, elevate pt so pretty nice setup cash based one-on-one 60-minute treats so no aids or assistance um kind of at their clinic part-time uh, they'll be transitioning later this month on the 19th or so. So I'm looking forward to that. It's a bit of a significant pay increase from my current job at Bless. So that's also good. So more money, less hours. And oh, that's great. Less overall patience, I guess, because one-on-one. So I'm digging that. That was kind of a nice... It was a, basically I sprayed my resume out to a bunch of clinics in October. And then she randomly emailed me at like a... I guess a week and a half ago for an yeah. interview so that wasn't even like a former formal job application and just kind of came through the ether there at me so it seemed like a good opportunity and definitely uh looking forward to that so that's good so that's okay that's awesome so when you meant it's like sprayed your resume did you go in person and drop these things off or um for this one actually no i just um patched my resume the subject was like searching for a job during a global pandemic so i, I kind of tried to be a little bit funny there on the yeah. subject line and then it was just like yeah i'm looking to, to work as a pt around this area so um if you want me to come in let me know but and she liked that she pointed that out she, yeah, that was a kind of funny funny subject line so oh yeah she brought me in and then it worked out but no yeah, yeah. this one wasn't wasn't knocking on doors or anything it was just uh just shooting it out there so sometimes it works yeah oh that's awesome Welcome to Two Five Physios, the podcast where Tyler Smith and Jordan Spradlin, two doctors of physical therapy, 
discuss their journey towards financial independence, self-development, PT research articles, and host in-depth interviews with physios in the field. All right, we're going to do a quick, maybe like 25, 30 minute episode on, I had attended CSM virtually, a kind of combined sections meeting, PT conference in February is all online this year. It was great to go to it last year in person in Denver, but 2021, obviously with COVID, couldn't do that. And so we're going to talk about one of the talks, um, Johnny Owens, kind of the, one of the main BFR researchers kind of an updated 2021 state of the science on BFR. And Jordan did not go to the CSM, but he did go to an Owens Recovery Science like level one certification course in, in uh, San Diego. So he can talk a little bit about that experience and what that was like. Um, so we're going to kind of jump right in. But yeah, where do you want to start with Jordan? Uh, I think I was just going to start just like a little background. I know we touched on it when we went over your paper a little mm-hmm. bit, but um as far as like where it kind of started, um, mm-hmm. J- Johnny Owens, if, if you're familiar with BFR, you probably know the name. He's founded of like Owens Recovery Science, but BFR started way before that, like even early 1900s before that they were, they were using that to see for like um, venous, venous wounds and stuff to see like how we restrict it and then hopefully get some no blood flow in. We'll see how that goes. And, when physicians were interested in how blood clots started, like people just all of a sudden went from zero to a hundred as far as pain and death, just because of blood clot. And they're like, man, how does this start? And so a few physicians started to look into at least just hemodynamics and how that stuff starts and then occluding blood flow. And then research just started coming out more, more so. And then Johnny Owens pretty much brought it to the clinical setting as far as rehabilitation, especially for limb salvage individuals and military and general orthopedics overall. And, and as far as like basic physiology of hypertrophy and strength gains, that's essentially the goal of BFR, but there's not like one thing you can point to. And it's like, okay, this is, this is how you get stronger. There's like so many different cascades of things that go on, but I like to boil it down as how do you get muscle adaptation and how do you get strength gains? You essentially have to stress the system appropriately to make that happen. And a lot of times with patients in rehab and post-ops and they can't stress the system to get those gains. So BFR has become almost the bridge uh, between uh, where they can't lift too much to get into them to the point where they can lift harder and, uh, and stress the tissues appropriately without increased pain or risk of uh, tissue damage. Not just like quick little background of that stuff. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I think the the more and more I get into PT, the simpler and simpler like my approach gets because it's really all physical therapy is, is almost like two or three things. It's in my opinion, it's calming shit down and building shit up. And then <laughs> yeah. basically knowing when to avoid or expose someone to a certain movement. So everything is load tolerance, you know, playing around with what they can currently do where you need them to eventually get. So you're kind of playing around with what they can do in the clinic and load management strategies and what's their capacity of 
they have currently decreased capacity, you have to decrease the load temporarily, or you know, kind of just playing around with those kind of two things. Everything is really about, like you said, stress on the system and how you adapt to that stress. So BFR, like you said, is just a really good way to provide a stimulus in an otherwise unloaded or unloadable joint or muscle. Kind yeah. Of getting over yeah. And I like how you said that too, because like I always go back to Dr. Maloof and mm-hmm. the physical stress theory. Yep. And her paper. So that's, that's just always on, on the back of mind. If you haven't we read should, it, look it up. <laughs> we should just we should break that down. That'll be our next step, like uh two five article will be okay. the Maloof paper, because that's very instrumental to, to yeah, everything right. PTs do. We were just talking about coming up with the list of more articles. So okay, that's on the top of the list. That's on the top. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. And um, yeah, do you want to talk anything about, else about the class, how many people were in it, or um, what oh, the general yeah. flow was of that course? Yeah. So um, my instructor was Kyle Kimbrell. He's pretty much the, um, the go-to person in the Southern California area in California. I think he resides in Los Angeles. He's, he was a really, really intelligent PT, um, and he's been working in the field for up, upwards of 20 years. He's worked with some law enforcement individuals. and he got into BFR in the past past few years here, and now he's like full time working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, as as far as uh, going out and educating, providing clinical education courses to physical therapists, and and so it was held at a PRN in San Diego. And and I remember like when we were in school, I heard about PRN, just the the outpatient clinic. Uh, and so finally went there, uh, met the owner uh, who held it, and like in their clinic, they have they have three BFR systems there. Uh, that they use with their patients a lot. And, and so it was an all day thing. Essentially, they provided you some pre-course materials that you have to look over before. And then Kyle Kimbrell kind of went through the history of BFR and how it's been used um, nowadays and where it's, where it's sort of heading and primarily how to do it with your patients. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were typically when, when most people think, oh, you're including blood flow, like that doesn't sound safe. And, uh, which is fair, you know, you think about that at first, but the, as far as safety goes, it's pretty much one of the safest interventions you can do because there's, there hasn't been for the amount of exposures that athletes and patients have been exposed to BFR compared to adverse effects, um, especially like a blood clot, it's, it's not any greater than the normal population. Mm -hmm. So, um, that wouldn't be my main concern for that, but that was the biggest thing. And, and it was great because, you know, it was the first continuing education that I went to since the pandemic or since graduating actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. And, um, oh man. So 15 hours. Yeah. Did you get all 15? Does that count? I don't, it does. It, it's like, this was eight and a half. Okay. Eight and a half. Yeah. And then I have my CPR certification. Yep. And Oh man, that's it. Okay. <laughs> I forgot how much CPR is, but you should be close. Yeah, you should, should be, be close. close. I wonder if I take some like CSCS quizzes online. You think they'll take that? I I wonder. <laughs> I haven't done any of the CSCS stuff yet for content. So I need to look at that for later this year. Oh man. That's yeah. Cause cool. mine, I think mine's in October that I need to renew. Mm-hmm. So, ah. um, but, but yeah, other than that, it was, it was pretty great. Like there's uh, PTs in there were, some were opening up their own businesses and trying to get this in there to bring in clients. And um, we got to, we got to play around with the system a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was, 
it was good to see like i don't know it was interesting to see people who have never played with it before mm-hmm. like, you know kids in a candy shop they're like oh man this is cool like let's do this and that so it was pretty good but definitely learned a little bit more as far as why why we do bfr mm-hmm. essentially we know that it works uh, we don't necessarily know all of the specific mechanisms but we have mm-hmm. uh, good idea as far as that it does actually elicit muscle adaptations um, without really putting our patient in um, danger of damaging tissue. So that's something to probably talk about a little bit later is like tissue damage. Cause we had an interesting conversation in my clinic mm-hmm. as far as should your patients feel sore the next day? Oh, really? Doing BFR? Yeah. So yeah, actually I'll, I'll just, I'll run down that rabbit hole right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. Um, I was like for me and for you, I'm sure like we, we have good experience lifting general resistance training, and we know that there needs to be tissue damage, um, in order for there to be rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And when there is tissue damage, like you're going to release certain, um, like intracellular metabolites that will elicit muscle recovery and muscle protein synthesis mm-hmm. based on that tissue damage, which you can only get if you stress the system hard enough. Cause if you're just lifting two pounds and that's like 5% of your one rep max, you're not going to get that like cascade of metabolic changes to elicit gains. So when we were doing BFR, I was like, you know, I know we're only doing some of the uh, parameters is you only want to do about 30% of the individual's one rep max, which we can talk about because it's hard to determine someone's one rep max if they're just coming off post-op, can't do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a couple strategies that uh, I was exposed to and in, in the course. And, and I was like, but just me thinking when I have someone on BFR, I personally, based on what I know as evidence and as far as like muscle adaptations, that I was thinking there should be some soreness. It's definitely not going to be as much as an individual who's doing high intensity training or they're, they're meeting the American College of Sports Medi- Medicine recommendations as far as greater than 70% of the one rate max to get mm-hmm. hypertrophy changes. And so like when you do that, yeah, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be really sore. There's going to be more muscle damage than there would be with 30%, even if there was BFR. Mm-hmm. So, cause there are some PTs I was talking to where like there shouldn't be any, and I don't agree with that. And then, because I'm like, well, I don't think you're stressing the system enough. And mm. And, but I understand as far as from BFR goes, you're not necessarily stressing the system mechanically mm-hmm. um, yes. as, as much as you would with high intensity training, but so you're manipulating in it more of a metabolic, right? right. So, um, but even still, even still, I was like, I feel like there needs to be um, a, at least a little bit of muscle damage because in order to help elicit some of those cascade mm-hmm. systems. And I know we could talk about like the physiology a little bit more as far as an increase of hydrogen ions, but personally for me, um, I do not want them to be as sore as they mm-hmm. would if they were did, you know, uh, 70%. You're right, you're uh, right. I, don't, I don't think that's going to be effective, but mm-hmm. personally, I expect there to be some muscle, some muscle soreness mm-hmm. that it, even if it lasts for a few hours, great, maybe a day at most for them, yeah. maybe. But I still think there needs to be some because um, I was talking to Todd Schroeder at USC, who's an exercise physiologist who works with Johnny Owens. Mm-hmm. And um, and man, I'm going to see if I can get him on the podcast because I dropped it with him when I was talking to him. I was like, yeah, hey, we do this podcast. And that's you, awesome. 
you want to come in so i'm gonna well i'll send that email after okay but um um and i was talking to him about it and he's and even he was like you know um it's he looked at it as far as like i don't know this guy's really smart he looked at it as far as like mm-hmm. certain waves that they look at for mm-hmm. muscle damage um when they do like nerve conduction studies like, okay yeah it's it's pretty typical you'll see different type of waves if there is muscle damage right and when he does the studies he's like you know we every time we do it our patients report minimal soreness which the way they defined it is they just did a zero to ten scale and most okay. of them said like two to three soreness um and they also looked at um like as far as physiologically some of these like nerve conduction waves and but it wasn't like it wasn't very specific for that there's not necessarily like a yes or no mm-hmm. for that but i think I think if you're a clinic owner and you want people to come back, <laughs> yeah. you don't want to totally like absolutely destroy them on day one yeah. or two. So yeah, um, you definitely want to ease them into it based on their training age, their training history, how much they've been experienced with lifting. I think killing them on day one is a good way to never, never see them again. So yeah. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta know that, but um, but yeah, I don't know. I just went off on a tangent for that one. No, that's cool. That is very cool. Um, so again, just the real basic background. I have kind of the slides from the Owens recovery or from the CSM, I guess, Johnny Owens talk. Um, but the real basic background is that you're reducing arterial flow, you're blocking venous flow, and you could do BFR with either low load or no load. So usually zero to 30%, one RM. And it's typically done with 30 reps to start and then three sets of 15 and you can do it both passively or with aerobic like cycling or walking training as well for for elderly patients so that's like a real general setup and i was going to dive into just some of the slides of the updated research and what what he's kind of showed so feel free to stop me at any time jordan if, if you talk about this in your class or you have experience with this in the clinic but i was going to go through some of these slides um and just what maybe the findings were kind of some of the updates that that he presented on the first one was on the influence of relative blood flow restriction pressure on muscle activation muscle adaptation and they found that acutely emg increased similarly between 40 to 90 percent of limb occlusion pressure i believe this was just with the upper extremity and then chronically at eight weeks it was again similar for the muscle strength between the 40 and 90 percent limb occlusion basically the takeaway from that is that with the upper extremity, the general range that I've heard is like 40 to 60% limb occlusion pressure, whereas mm-hmm. the lower extremity is more 60 to 80. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely around 80 is probably the best for the lower, lower body, but for the upper extremity, it doesn't seem like there's much benefit past, you know, that 60% limb occlusion pressure, like again, up to 90, there was the same EMG activity. That was kind of interesting. You don't need to completely restrict, you know, to the maximal degree to get there's not like a a specific dose response relationship where it's always increasing it just kind of levels off at a certain level so don't need to kill your patients all the time um (laughs) but lower extremity it seems like 80 percent is probably a little bit better method to go there in 2021 there's been 32 now systematic reviews of bfr so the stuff's increasing very fast um there's more and more studies every day kind of going on and um Another interesting one was the effect of blood flow restriction versus heavy load strength training on muscle strength. Another systematic review and meta-analysis with the conclusion being that on the basis of the present meta-analysis, low load BFR training 
and high load strength training appear to be equally effective in producing gains in maximal muscle strength in healthy adults. So the, the mean confidence interval slightly favors the high load training. If you look at the actual graph, but it wasn't significant, like statistically significantly different. So mm-hmm. seems like, and I know I just listened to another podcast from Johnny Owens about that kind of latest finding of even between high load and low load BFR, there's not a huge difference in strength. It may be favoring strength a tiny bit, but um, it's something to consider that even though strength gains now are kind of being almost equatable between the two. So between the two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, why not just do low load if it's more comfortable? And... Mm-hmm. Okay. I think his biggest argument was you're not going to get, like you said, as much muscle damage. So if, if you're talking NFL, NHL, these kind of in season professional athletes, yeah, you can, you mm-hmm. can throw in the BFR mid season and not have that detrimental effect on performance because you're not getting that muscle protein breakdown as aggressively. Right. And your strength is almost equivocal. So it's not, not big enough to really, really throw their strength off in season, but they can still train with reduced delayed you know, damage after. So, yeah. And like on that, speaking of those athletes, did, when you were at CSM, did you hear anything about like pre-conditioning, like pre-ischemic conditioning for performance enhancement with BFR? Yes, they did talk about that. I'll probably get into that a little bit later down. They talk about doing okay. preconditioning with swimming. Okay. And, um, so I'll, yeah, I'll bring that up in one second. The next kind Sweet. of big update Johnny Allen was talking about was um, BFR and pain, and the kind of the emerging pain research on uh, tourniquets. And maybe the fact of BFR having a hypoalgesic effect, so kind of decreasing acutely the pain with, uh, they looked at, I believe this was a pilot RCT on anterior knee pain, Caracas in 2018. Um, so they're doing long arc quads at 80% of limb occlusion. And they found that a significant reduction in anterior knee pain in the BFR group immediately post-exercise and lasted for at least 45 minutes. They assessed it with a shallow single leg squat, a deep single leg squat, and a step-down test. The clinical implications that low load BFR exercise may be used to reduce pain and provide a win of opportunity for clinicians to optimally load painful tissues and joints. And I know Rosie was doing a study as well on, I think it was patellofemoral pain with BFR. I forget if you mentioned that last time we interviewed him, but. Yeah, you did. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take that to my patient who I've been doing it with. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Um, So that's kind of interesting too. Um, Then he, Johnny Owens has a slide about the changes in beta endorphin levels in response to aerobic and anaerobic exercise. Um, Quote was during incremental graded exercise, beta endorphin levels increase when the anaerobic threshold has been exceeded or at the point of over proportionate increase in lactate. And BFR has been shown to, with exercise has been shown to increase lactate production. So it's theorized that that hypoalgesic effect is coming from the lactate building up the tissue, which then Mm -hmm. triggers the beta endorphins which has that pain relieving effect mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. for at least maybe 45 minutes or up to 24 hours is another kind of study that I've seen. So pretty interesting too. Um, if you're trying to get patients that have pain, you know, just to have that response as well, I think is a, another side benefit as well. So that's huge. No, yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. And as far as like the, the preconditioning, like we were touching on it to see if, 
um, a few PTs in the class were like, well, if I did maybe three exercises with BFR, would that improve their, their game? If they went out and played basketball or mm. you know, if they went and run a 3k or something or mm-hmm. 5k. So that's something I was interested in too. I don't know what Johnny had to say about that or at least CSM. Ischemic preconditioning. So here was some of the research he showed. Uh, this was Christian P. Chang, Josh Slides, and Jamie F. Burr, International Journal of Sport Physiology and Performance. It was uh, titled Ischemic Preconditioning Improved Cycling Performance Despite a Nocebo Expectation. That's kind of interesting because the nocebo effect would be they knew that they had this tourniquet on, so they're all expecting to have worse cycle performance. And kind of despite that, they they noticed an increase in their um, times. I think it was, let's see, the IPC protocol was three three minutes on and five minutes off. And it was repeated, I think, five times for that one. And so they were just looking at their swim speed as far as that was going. I forget the distance on that one. Mm-hmm. But kind of interesting to see, even with that like highly negative belief going into it, that they still did better. It was yeah. a sub sub max and maximal swim test. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I think I would do it. I for sure would do it. If mm-hmm. I was about to go run like a 5K or something, I'd probably mm-hmm. do some ischemic preconditioning. Yeah. Get the, get the 5K down. <laughs> I love it. I guess it was, for that study, it was four, uh, four sets of five minutes at full occlusion. So, right. Mm-hmm. Other, other protocols I've seen is um, five minutes of occlusion three minutes of deflation and then you mm-hmm. repeat that eight minute cycle five times so a 40 minute pre-exercise bout of ipc yeah and like in the clinic at a, you know it's, your time is limited so um with something mm-hmm. like that i would even because i brought that up in the class and i was like honestly i'll probably do five minutes and maybe just rest mm-hmm. a minute at most right. and and then go back at it again and um and kyle kyle agreed like that's kind of what he does too so when he works with patients um and so i don't think there's any any detriment to that at all Mm -hmm. and even when i was talking to um todd schroeder last week i was i was curious because as far as like time goes i'm trying to get in as many exercises with my patients at once it takes time to set bfr up yeah take it off um you have to first have them lay supine and and they need to be totally quiet so that you can get their like limb occlusion pressure. And, and from like that, I, I, I even feel, I get a little anxious just deflating it for a minute in between mm-hmm. exercises. Cause I'm like, all right, come on, let's go. We got to go. And so there's been a couple of people who I know can tolerate it very well. Mm-hmm. And so what I've done is I've actually set it to 15 minutes and I do not even give them a deflation period. Okay. And I just have them go through their 30 and 15 times three mm-hmm. and then give them a 30 second break um, while it's still inflated and have them run right into their other exercise. And, and um, as far as like safety goes, mm-hmm. I remember talking, I asked, asked Todd Schroeder about that and he's like, Oh yeah, we, there's plenty of research out there that talks about occluding for much longer than that. Okay. Um, doing that. And also like people in surgery, are included mm. for up to two hours. That's kind yeah. of like the goal is like two hours and that's kind of their number. Right. Um, and, and so if they're able to do it for two hours and you're talking and 15 minutes, yeah. 15, yeah, then you should, you should be totally fine, but that's all your clinical judgment. Right. That makes sense. Um, that makes so sense. if you, if you do want to try to save 
get another exercise in, get the most for your money mm -hmm. with that. I that's that's what I would do. So. Yeah, I think the IPC is, and this is in the Johnny Owens slides as well. I think it's probably most useful, not for performance necessarily, but for preventing disuse atrophy post surgical. So that's I think that's kind of where it first came about was um, post ACLR or something like that. Just doing the ischemic preconditioning to prevent all the impending quad atrophy from muscle protein breakdown and muscle protein synthesis kind of equations being out of whack with the neuromuscular system after a surgery. So I would generally do it probably more for that than as there's not as much evidence for performance as there is for preventing atrophy, I think is a fair statement. Yeah. And what's cool about that is like, I think because you're, you're occluding and you're, you're, you're inflating and then you're mm -hmm. deflating the cycle. And so you're, you're essentially like increasing the volume in your tissues while it's inflated down there because mm -hmm. you're not allowing it. You're not allowing venous return. Right. And so that essentially starts to push on all the mechanical mechanical receptors mm -hmm. in your muscle tissues. So it pushes out on these cells and it's like, Hey, don't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. we, we still want you here. So, um, and you're not even, you're not even exercising. You're just right. laying there. Right. So that's that's the one way to keep your muscle tissues without necessarily mm -hmm. actually exercising if someone can't mm -hmm. and you just have to do a lot less work on the back end if you keep as much muscle obviously so mm -hmm. same kind of stuff going into surgeries kind of the better you are going in obviously the better your outcomes after so based on your quad muscle strength and size and all that so mm -hmm. next little update from the owens csm talk was on soft tissue injuries so this one was a good one because it came from uh, USC. So I know you'd like this, Jordan. But they're looking at low load BFR with eccentric hamstring resistance training, having similar outcomes to high load traditional training. So they looked at uh, the figure one is a dude doing a Nord board eccentric hamstring exercise. And there was uh, the result was group mean, single leg, vertical max. Um, they're looking at BFR, low load eccentric hamstring training mean pre and post training test paired t-test showed no significant change in single leg vertical and then traditional high load eccentric hamstring training mean pre to post training test paired t-test showed no significant change in single leg vertical either and the independent t-test mean change comparison between training intervention showed no significant differences between the training outcomes so as far as i understood <laughs> there was no increase in vertical jump and single leg vertical i guess between both of the groups um, and then in terms of the single leg curl strength so doing a seated hamstring curl um, the bfr low load eccentric hamstring training mean pre to post training test showed a significant change in hamstring strength seven percent pval 0.001 and then the traditional high load eccentric hamstring training pre to post training paired t-test showed a significant change as well at 12.2 percent and then there was an independent t-test comparison showing no difference between the two. So I guess doing the BFR and the traditional high load in a seated hamstring flexion exercise showed no difference between the two in terms of that strength. So that was nice. kind of interesting as well. Okay. Um, so definitely like coming off an acute hamstring strain, you can right. get that's them on a, it. That's oh man, similar. we, we should have, we should have did that for you when that, when we were, what was that called again? Our softball championship game that we were at? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was that called? I don't know. Oh, uh, mass, mass kickers. Mass kickers. Yeah. It was. it was like a charity kickball tournament. Yeah. We should have got I, you right on the BFR, like right I, then and there. <laughs> I, tore, I tore my hamstring in that, in that like, beer league game, whatever. <laughs> Just the no, no, 
just nonsense charity event i tore my hamstring yeah <laughs> no, um, i feel like atcs are gonna have like bfr with them on the field now you're gonna see them running out just right strap it on let's go <laughs> yes exactly oh ridiculous i guess as a little retraction for the eccentric norboard strength it looks like they're looking at the single leg vertical so like how far they they got towards the horizontal kind of plane you know if you're looking at a nordboard Mm-hmm. after bfr low load and then the high load and there was no difference in how f- close to the ground they could get okay af- like after the two of those so it wasn't related to jump it was just like how strong are you before you your hamstrings give out yeah and that's like the eccentric control aspect of right. the hamstrings going all the way down okay. the eccentric hamstring was no difference between training with low load bfr and high loads okay that's a little that was a little uh, muddy when i was going through that the first time so Nah, it's a good uh, clarification. Yeah, so that's good. And hamstring eccentrics with Norboard has been really good for decreasing injuries. So I know that research is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that that Norboard that's coming from uh, what is it? Vald, Vald Performance. That is looks like that is the one they used in this study. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we haven't actually purchased this, but I'm I'm saving up for it. Yeah. The Vald they have these um. They have this new BFR technology called Airbands, and so, sorry, the technology is the same. It's just that they have these Airbands that do not have any cords associated with it, um, so they're actually connected to your phone via Bluetooth, so that you can use this pretty much wherever, and you're not restricted by any cords, which mm-hmm. is, sounds awesome. And apparently, they have a pneumatic bladder within the band itself, and. Um, and so if you have a chance, go check it out on Vlad Bald Performance because yeah. <laughs> it seems seems pretty epic. Definitely want to try it out. Yeah, that thing seemed epic. They have, uh, like you said, the air bands. They've got all kinds of ISO, kinetic testing, isotonic testing. So mm-hmm. looking at your potential injury, potentially with like the external rotation, internal rotation, and all that kind of stuff. It seemed really cool. So I'm glad Jordan showed me that the other day. I sent it to my brother and he was like, oh, this is sweet. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was the main stuff. I guess he talks a little bit about more like cell responses to BFR at the end of the talk. So mm-hmm. one of the things was um BFR induces systemic platelet and stem cell response. So they were looking at two conditions, BFR at 80% limb occlusion pressure, 30% 1RM with the 30, 15, 15, 15. 30 seconds rest between sets, one minute between the exercises. And then they're looking at a work-matched free flow condition. And they did a blood draw via the antecubital vein and finger prick pre and post in that 20, 40, and 60 minutes. After doing three exercises, it looks like a prone hamstring, leg press, and knee extension. And they found that there's a significant increase systemically in CD34 cells and platelet count immediately following the bfr condition only and there's a brief response as both were back to baseline at 20 minutes after that so platelets went up so they're saying kind of um previous literature has shown variability in the platelet production yield among commercially available platelet rich plasma kits and then bfr may potentially leverage it as a way of non-invasively increasing peripheral platelet release prior to blood draw to improve platelet rich plasma that would be administered so 
I know PRP is also like a big, you know, biologic to improve recovery or after injury. I think there's a fair amount of research. It's not always, you know, pretty solid on some things, but I guess mm-hmm. if you're going to do a PRP, taking that platelet-rich plasma from a patient, if they did BFR before, BFR would increase the, those platelets. And so you get a better PRP draw to then put back into the patient to help with their injury. So interesting. Yeah. yeah who knows? Absolutely. Um, and, um, and like, just to bring it back to like, kind of my, um, why I use BFR, it's like mm-hmm. with, with injury or, or surgery or anything, you kind of have this net protein balance where mm-hmm. your body's constantly doing this, whether it's building up protein synthesis and protein is being broken down uh, simultaneously. And so you're trying to get more protein synthesis than you are breakdown mm-hmm. um, in order to get gains. So, um, and it happens so quickly, like even within seeing research, um, that just, just in like a day or two of reducing your step count will in- increase what's called myostatin, um, which is more of a inhibitor of muscle protein synthesis. So if you have more of that, you're going to have decreased muscle protein synthesis by, by disuse, not using your muscles and not being active enough overall. So by doing this, uh, BFR, you can increase muscle protein synthesis, um, which is like the main goal for that. And, and like coming back to the cellular changes after injury without following a cascade, you get, you get mTOR going, you get human growth hormone, which essentially is just for collagen, mm-hmm. um, synthesis. So I know sometimes people think human growth hormone, you're going to get really big and huge, mm-hmm. um, but that's primarily just for collagen resynthesis and not necessarily muscle protein, uh, synthesis. So with those cellular changes, like you do get an influx, of, along with platelets, these satellite cells, which do play a role in the repair of muscle mm-hmm. after there is muscle damage. And, and so that's another reason why I feel like it needs to be a little bit, uh, because of yeah. muscle damage, uh, so that these satellite cells can come in, which help draw in more nuclei into the muscle tissue. Cause it's a multi-nucleated cell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they get better, bigger, more, more cross-sectional area due mm-hmm. to increased nuclei due to influx of myofibrils and just adding on to those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and so those satellite cells coming in. That's, that's another big cellular change. And that also decreases myostatin, ultimately increasing muscle protein synthesis. So, and I know there's some research with BFR and tendon specifically, like uh, tendinopathies kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that maybe growth, I know it's, it's um, a little bit smaller than a lot of people give it credit for. It's not maybe this, this huge systemic effect of growth hormone that we think it is, but I know maybe locally, if that's the main thing that growth hormone is doing, maybe that would improve the, you know, the collagen matrix when you have an injury. So I know there's ongoing studies with BFR and tendons and all that kind of stuff, ligaments as well. So yeah, that's pretty interesting. Have you, have you seen, um, the cow that doesn't produce myostatin like images of that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's awesome. I just want to see it's just like jacked out of its mind. It's hilarious. You should just Google that. Everybody just Google no myostatin cow and you'll see yeah or even like little mice it's hilarious yeah. these little mice that are just huge <laughs> what were you gonna say jordan sorry um but yeah like like you're just talking about with um tendons like also bfr has an effect on bone tissue mm-hmm. as well um so 
So like when you, quite a few studies have shown with BFR decreases myostatin mm-hmm. um, and also increases growth hormone, like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the osteoblasts in bone cells have receptors for growth hormone. Mm. And so it seems to be more systematically related to that increase in lactate and um, hydrogen mm-hmm. ion production. And so if you, if you look at um, some post-ACLR, like with the insertion of the patellar tendon, mm-hmm. um, that localized area still does have uh, very good bone health and density by using BFR compared to no control um, in individuals with post-ACLR. And they think it's probably from like more of a fluid pressure um, when, when you're getting that occlusion, you get that increased volume, you're getting more mm-hmm. interstitial fluid flow throughout the bone itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, VEGF, which is mm-hmm. <laughs> vascular endothelial growth, growth factor, factor. Yeah. <laughs> which is a regulator of angiogenesis, yeah. um, which new. seems to be localized and new increase of capillary arteries. Yeah. Very yeah, cool. So that's, that's another thing that I didn't really think about um, mm-hmm. to start, but yeah, bone is definitely affected with this too. I know. I need to reach out. I have a patient that's getting ACLR surgery um, this, whatever, the seventh, so in whatever, four days, three days. And so I wanted to reach out to the doc um, to see if I could do, I have my little, uh, <laughs> my little cheap BFR bands here off of Amazon. I was like, oh, uh, can I do this? I, I'm probably not even going to suggest it, but, <laughs> but I really want to, like, part of me really wants to do it, but I don't have the surgeons like contact information but i have that and i have nmes and stuff or mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like an nmes tens combination unit i don't really know i looked i've looked at the parameters and it's kind of like a it's not strictly nmes but it's not like strictly a tens thing okay so it's what i got after my shoulder surgery and it's locked like i can't change any of the settings huh. and i looked at the settings and it's this, like weird like nmes tens hybrid setting it currently has right now but okay. I was probably going to try to do that with him after. And then, yeah, maybe, maybe use my little BFR band. So I need to, I need to contact the surgeon and Dude. see what, what their thoughts are. Oh. Yeah. That's a great idea. If you could do it before and after, even better. That'd be huge. So I'll oh, see you on six. That'll be cool. All brand new ACL, patellar bone, patellar tendon graft, PTD. Oh, oh yeah. Surgeon. Okay. So. Yeah, that would be good. Hopefully, you can reduce some of that anterior knee pain that those guys tend to get. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit worried. I told him about that, but he's not going to have any yeah hamstring contraindications to exercise. So that's kind of nice. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm excited about that. It's coming up this week. But yeah, that's the the little bit of an update on the BFR research. Some of the CSM and Owens Recovery Science talks with me and Jordan there. Mm-hmm. Any final wrap-ups, Jordan? Yeah, one one last thing. Mm-hmm. So proximal gains. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you always think, uh, all right, down, down, downstream the cuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's only below this below the cuff. But I mean, there's plenty of studies showing proximal gains, and um there's a yeah. few theories uh behind it as to why that might be. Mm-hmm. Um one is is just like the systemic response, you know. If, if mm-hmm. you're able to release these different type of metabolites, um, it's more s- systemic. Like I remember mm-hmm. they were looking at one study where they looked at uh, knee extension with BFR, and then they looked at one arm using 
doing curls mm-hmm. and this was without BFR on the arm, but just doing curls with one arm compared to the other arm that was not using anything. And, and they found that even just doing BFR with the legs, mm-hmm. their, their right bicep was, had, had muscle protein synthesis and that's awesome. hypertrophy just with using uh, BFR on the legs, mm-hmm. uh, which they think is more of a systematic response overall. That's one, one idea. The other one is kind of a backflow effect. Like if you think of the cuff as almost a funnel when you're pouring oil in your car, like if mm-hmm. you pour, if you pour too much of it, it starts to back up a little bit and you mm-hmm. need to like, wait a second before the air bubbles come out and you keep going. Similar idea as, as far as like some of that hypo- hypoxic blood flow might be coming up above the cuff, mm-hmm. um, which might that's cool. more yeah that's 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 something and then uh the last one is what they call like downstream fatigue so if you're doing if you're doing um a bench press with yeah. the bfr your triceps are going to get fatigued mm-hmm. much faster so then you're probably going to get increased muscle activation of the pec major of the shoulder uh, as well yeah. yeah and of the shoulder as i've well, heard so. that that's the theory i've heard the downstream effect i didn't i wasn't familiar with the other one but that's really interesting yeah, so those are yeah. the three that they think is probably why that's yeah. happening. So either way, you can get proximal gains too. Mm-hmm. A lot more research coming every day, basically. But that's huge. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Cool. I like it. There's the uh, updated BFR research for everybody out there listening. Shoot us questions, comments, concerns at info at 25physios.com. Catch us on our website, 25physios. Mm-hmm. And we'll bring you a Probably financial related topic for the next solo episode. We'll kind of rotate solo with the financial and PT related research. All right. Thanks for listening to the two five physios podcast, where we bring the fire mindset to the physio lifestyle.